The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Rev. Ellen Debenport. Welcome. This is Voices of Unity with Ellen Debenport. This is a show that invites different new thought leaders to share their wisdom and expertise so that you can dive deep into spiritual topics. This is for you to discover new ideas and practices that will enhance your life. Our guests for Voices of Unity are sometimes Unity ministers, but also others who can share something special they've learned. They have a body of work. So they're not just one-time guests. They come and stay for several weeks so we can truly explore their areas of special interest. Sometimes it's specifically unity, sometimes more general spiritual practice, but this current series is specifically unity. Reverend Kelly Isola has been with us. This is week four out of five to talk about Myrtle Fillmore, Unity's co-founder. She and her husband, Charles, founded Unity in 1889. And... Myrtle's primary teaching, I think it's fair to say, is about healing. But, Kelly, we ended our show last week saying that there are elements of gratitude and service in her healing teachings. So I don't know a whole lot about that aspect of it. So take it away. (laughs) And welcome back to the show. Thank you. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed this because it just... It always challenges me, and I think that's, the, for me, the purpose of looking at our roots is to be challenged, not just to sort of take it and as it is and, you know, black and white. Uh, she gives thanks frequently. She talks about gratitude. She talks about joy. Most every letter I come across, you know, reading in the archives, she uses the word glad. She somewhere in the opening of of a letter to someone is she talks about either she's glad to receive what they've written. She's glad that because sometimes it's a request. Sometimes they're giving an update. um, And so she's glad to receive the updates. She's glad to receive if they've sent a dollar or um, one letter, the person had sent a five dollar check and she made a big deal out of that. And I kind of chuckled inside because five dollars. You know, um, I think I can get a latte at Starbucks, you know, now for $5. But then, yes, you know, $5 was... Uh, was a big deal. But she says glad, and, and I, she uses the glad in terms of joy and thanksgiving. Um, so let me just sidebar here. Yeah. I've been doing some research on We Wisdom, mm-hmm. which was Unity's magazine for children for 95 years. Myrtle started it in 1893, and she was the editor for many years. And so they had something called... Well, let me just, I won't go into that much detail. But at one point, she was advising children, be like Pollyanna. Play the glad game. Look for things you can be glad about. Absolutely. And she uh, she says that over and over and over. And I think sometimes where it gets a little bit, uh, it can go a little bit into spiritual bypasses when you start doing that 
to deny whatever's going on that needs your attention, mm-hmm. you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spirit, you know, that it's not about rose-colored glasses and always, oh, just be glad, you know, and, and uh, you know, Pollyanna certainly has gotten a bad rap. Um, it now doesn't, it's now if you refer to somebody as being Pollyanna, that's it's not, not a, a compliment. compliment. <laughs> <laughs> not really. Right. But just to show that, you know, the evolution of, you know, of something, the evolution. And she she writes uh, frequently, not just the We Wisdom, but in her letters, um, when someone is writing to her about and asking about children, she uh, she's very much, uh, of course you teach them, you know, one presence of one power. Of course you teach them that, you know, that they're divine. Of course, it, like, it's whatever you're teaching the adults, you teach the kids, mm-hmm. you know, their own vocabulary. But, like, it's not, it, it almost, I sometimes think there's a tone in her voice like, well, duh. You know, like, of course you <laughs> Well, were. We Wisdom in the early days had some hardcore metaphysics yeah. for kids in the 1800s. Also, much longer articles. Those kids must have had better attention spans than I do. Well, it's uh, – I think that's some of it. And it's what are you choosing to um, – focus memorization or learning on. Mm-hmm. So we've just changed what, you know, like you could ask, uh, um, like from my from my era, I could, at the, you know, at the time I could ask a teenage boy, um, you know, to recite all the, the lines from the movie Dumb and Dumber, and they would know all of them. <laughs> but ask them to, you know, to, to recite a particular psalm or something on metaphysics, and they wouldn't. It's just the, the focus, the value has been changed. Okay. What you've what you put in front of someone and want them to ingest, and she talks about it as ingesting and oh, drinking and, and, you know, like eating it in kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. just our values have changed. Um, plus, they didn't have, you know, all the gadgets we have to distract us. Distraction has become an illness. Well, exactly. And I picture these little kids, most of them living out in the country and on farms, just waiting by the mailbox for their wee wisdom. And it's remarkable how interactive it was by snail mail mm-hmm. and how much the kids felt connected to each other, mm-hmm. reading each other's letters and poems and things they sent in. And Myrtle was just the, you know, the central office for yep. all of that. Which is, which is a service. You know, we mm-hmm. um, so, you know, it's all it's all it's put it in context. Um, everything, you know, when when you look at Myrtle Fillmore, her life and what she write and the same thing with Charles, when you look at. Um, scripture, if you look at the life of Jesus, you always have to put it in the context in which it originated because we have a tendency to overlay our 21st century thinking or, you know, lenses onto it and we miss, we misinterpret or we just miss something altogether mm-hmm. or, you know, we hear things that just aren't being said. Um, so I'm thinking by 1893, she had grasped a lot of these healing principles, the power of mind over body. And she was feeling much better, even though you've taught us that the story that she cured herself in two years is not quite accurate. It was a lifelong, yeah, ongoing discipline. I think that the, there was a great relief in the physical discomfort, mm-hmm. a great relief in in uh, the physical ailments, and in terms of you know the di- di- digestive issues and migraines and um, aches and pains, the the lungs, the what things symptoms that seem to be like tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. So maybe she felt good enough by 1893 to start being of service mm-hmm. to kids, and of course the story is she had a vision of the vision goes that she was 
in a big crowd of people, and there were lots of unruly children running around. And a voice within her said, who will take care of the children? And apparently a a voice answered, this is your work to do. Mm. So We Wisdom was a part of that, and, and it was being in service. So coming over here, I was thinking, okay, we're going to talk about how service is a part of a healing practice. When I'm sick, I don't feel like being in service to anybody else. <laughs> I want them to take care of me. Well, yeah, um, I'm with you. <laughs> uh, and so when I am sick, so if we go you know, down the, the road of healing physically, um, it's, it's also being open to allowing someone to be in service to us. Oh. Right? Um, That's part of the healing? Yeah. It's the, the law of giving and receiving. Mm-hmm. That um, she and she does she does uh, sort of in I periodically come across letters. She's pretty direct most of the time, and I honestly think that uh, that some of her letters are she writes them in a way the person can hear them, and she writes them in a way that um, and in a in a way in part meets the person where they're at because I think she wants to be them to be able to hear it. And there are things that are just not negotiable you know and so she's disciplined and she's you do this and this and that and she does periodically ask people um uh and point them to are you uh, you know like are you doing this all on your own like she it's kind of odd because there is this huge piece of work that is on your own you know it's an internal you know going to you know the secret place on high and and be spending time in prayer and in meditation and and speaking words of health and kindness to your body and and prayers and it's all very eye focused and it's all very internal um kind of work and then she kind of starts to add in you know in some of the letters about um you know who's who's helping you Right, like who's supporting you? And she doesn't say it that way. She just she starts to hint at the other people in your life. And she's and then she also goes into when she talks about health and she talks about abundance. She talks about the giving and receiving. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and and part of that is I I take as who am I allowing to be to you know give to me. And am I allowing it? It's like the the. Uh, I mean, we're just past Easter, but the Station of the Cross, where Simon steps out to care and says, "Let me carry the cross." And then there's the woman Veronica who steps out to to wipe the face of Jesus on this you know journey. And um, while we don't know if either character is a true factual person, um, the question is: is who are you allowing to be to Simon in your life to carry your cross or who are you allowing to be Veronica to wipe your brow so I think that's part of the healing that especially when it comes to physical and like you said I just I'm not going to get up I can't get up right I don't think Veronica's in the Bible no she's not Um, I'm thinking about Myrtle though allowing people to be in service to her Mm -hmm. because let me back up for our listeners. The reason I invited Kelly to do this is because she's done so much work on Myrtle and has read a lot of the unpublished letters that we have from Myrtle because most of what we have from Myrtle is when people wrote to her and she answered them. Occasionally we have both sides. Uh, mostly it's just her answers to them. Oh gosh, I explained too much and now I've forgotten where I was going with that. <laughs> What were we talking about? Of people being in service to In service to her. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
I would imagine she got a lot of letters, especially from women yes. who were exhausted from overgiving. Yes. And I haven't gotten the impression she did that herself, overgiving. A uh, great example would be the that she let her mother-in-law do all the cooking yep. for the family. Well, I think the overgiving comes when before we actually know Myrtle Fillmore is Myrtle Fillmore. Ah, okay. right. So by the time she gets to um uh um you know in the early in the you know she goes off to college uh to Oberlin in um what is it 1866, you know, and she graduates from there a year later, then she goes off to teach in Clinton, Missouri for 13 years. And then she, you know, eventually meets Charles um, uh, uh, in the late 1870s. So by the time she gets to Charles and they get married, she's kind of reached threshold. Mm -hmm. um, When you when you see some of the historical stuff and things she talks about and her ailments and being impatient and being tired and being exhausted and and her own physical manifestation of stress, of anxiety, of, you know, trying to take care of a home. And I think that's that's where we don't often we don't hear about that because we get to we get more of the new and improved model. Okay, (laughs) she does write a little bit in one of the books about um, relaxing a lot as a mother Mm -hmm. once she started down this spiritual path and and talks about letting the boys play in puddles in the rain when the neighbor kids were not allowed to do that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and she, I think part, because she, she also, she talks about, you know, being impatient was, was something of hers that she had to work on, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, throughout um, her life and certainly got better, um, you know, more patient and more, um, you know, just letting some of that go, that, you know, energy in her head uh, around it. And um, one of the things that uh, she, I think in doing that, she just loosens up around everything. And I think we all, that's part of where the glad thing starts, mm-hmm. you know, when you see a lot of that. I, I'm just, I don't know that for sure. But when I, as I read her stuff, there's this, this, you know, about being glad. And every letter, almost every letter I read starts out in an affirmative sense mm-hmm. about getting, connecting with you and getting this. And I think it's her way of remembering to, I hear it as, how do I start off being slow instead of just diving right into the solution for you, but to slow, be present, be glad for the letter, remembering I'm here to, to affirm life and health and love and power and substance for you. Um, But let me start with connecting and being glad to hear from you, glad to get your letter. Um, There is this wonderful supply always ever present for you, like starting in that affirmative place, I think is is part of her process, whether it was conscious or not. But when I read her letters, that's how I feel it. Maybe something she had to teach herself to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. She also went um, every day. She would, you know, the, the began Silent Unity began a society of silent help in Kansas City, eventually moves out to Lee Summit and Unity Village. But she, when it really became ministry and, and other people were helping her write letters back, you know, I think somewhere along the line, she was like, oh, I can't do this all alone, you know, and, and accepting help. I don't, I haven't seen anything where that was an issue for her. It just well, we're multiplying. People need our prayers. There's work to be done. There's mm-hmm. healing. This is wonderful. There's this this ever-present, you know, God and healing and the law of abundance and generosity and, and 
wholeness that's available to us all, we have to reach these people. And so just having more people write letters. But she, as it, that grew, as the ministry grew of people writing, and then you have more offices, and then you're here in the village, and you have more people. She, But every day, she would, at the end of the day, she would go walk around the offices and just smile and say hello and glad to see you and, mm-hmm. you know, just a gratitude and appreciation and, you know, and just sort of be that light. Management by walking around. Yes. Yeah. I like that. I'll do that. <laughs> Someone wants to hire me to walk around and be glad and <laughs> and affirm. And, and appreciate them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Great. And that was the one of the, there's a, a little article that the in the from the Kansas City Star from when she died. I don't know if it was the Star, but the, the Kansas City newspaper that's that describes her. It's not really an obituary, it's a little bit story that she um that was like the first thing that come to people's mind about her was that she would come and see every day she would just walk through and and affirm them. Oh. Yeah. That's sweet. I consider that a great service. So so do we assume that her service was mostly through unity? I mean, she wasn't working in a soup kitchen in downtown Kansas City that we know of. Right. She she did um she did connect with um uh, the labor workers union. She did connect with the temperance movement. She did connect with women in Kansas City. She was a member of the Audubon Society. Um, but I would say, yeah, her work, her service work was certainly through unity. But she, when she does, um, uh, when she writes stories about, say, like with the labor labor workers union, um, she's she's infiltrating unity principles into conversations with people that are struggling. Um, you know, with work that are struggling with work conditions or, you know, living in poverty or, you know, whatever the issues are. The same thing with the temperance movement. She's, it's not so much being out, you know, marching, but she's, I like the word infiltrate because it's, she's, she comes in a back door and not to deceive anyone. She just, she knows this is, how can someone hear this? You know, like if I could offer you a way for healing and, and I could offer you a way that, that, makes life easier for you and more abundant and more meaningful and more joy, would you be willing to to go down that road? Mm-hmm. And I don't think anybody goes, yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but that does lead to the meet them where they are question, mm-hmm. which we discuss a lot in Unity. Uh, you know, how can we meet people where they are without compromising Unity's teachings. Is that a fair way to put it? Yes. So the Fillmore's both used very traditionally Christian language with some fairly woo-woo things woven in. Uh, That is my characterization. It is not an official Unity teaching that they were woo-woo. But do you think they were consciously using that language or was it just the only language they had too? I like God the Father. I think it was both. God out there. I think it's both. Yeah. I think it's both because I think that as I read both of them, um, and if you read their work chronologically, there are times you can see their own evolution. Mm-hmm. There are times you can see, um, <clears throat> just see language shift a little bit. There's there's one uh, one letter I read that's very early. It's like 18... 90 and it's a lesson it's a handwritten and it's kind of hard to read but it's myrtle and it's a lesson she gave and you can as you read it she you can hear her shift into preacher mode it's like 
just when you read it, you can, oh, okay, I think she's sort of turned off the neocortex and she's now in the limbic mm. brain and just <laughs> flowing, right? Going with going with the flow and spirits speaking through her. Mm -hmm. Because the language starts shifting and it becomes very traditional. And she begins to talk about Christ. She uses the word Christ, which in Unity we teach is a consciousness, right. not a person. Right. But she begins to use it as synonym for Jesus. Oh. Which she doesn't it doesn't uh, she doesn't do that often um, in the writing and she's you know she's clear that um, you know she'll talk about Jesus and use Bible scripture but there but this one was one of those I'm like oh I don't think I could ever share this with anybody like this is so far field but but for me she was just channeling embedded theology and she was just she was alive with the point that she wanted to make, you know, about healing and abundance and life and love and God, and out of the mouth comes the language that's just unconsciously there. So I think some of the language is using what you just is already embedded and unconscious. Um, some of it is uh, not having, sometimes vocabulary gets in the way. Uh, I also think they were using a language that you're in the Midwest in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not, you're not going to probably slip into Hindu language or Buddhist language, not yet. Um, but I think, you know, the people here and that are going to be able to, they're already Christian, most all of them. So yes. they can hear, they can hear that. And I think part of the, you talked about at the first show, part of what's also floating around is, is the persecution of, of Mormons. Mm -hmm. Mormon Wars. And while that's, you know, a few decades after, I think it's still floating around. And do I want to present a Christianity very different from traditional Christianity? Um, because that's what the Mormons did and paid a heavy price. Right. So I don't have any idea if that's part of what they did. Mm -hmm. But I just as a theologian, as a historian, as someone, I, I just think it's still around in consciousness. And how can I What's the way to deliver this message? You know, it's the, the sales job, which sounds horrible, because it's not really, but Charles is an entrepreneur. He's a salesman. And how can I, how can you best hear what it is we're saying? Sure. I suppose it's sales. I never thought of it that way. But every minister knows that a Sunday talk has to hit about five different levels mm -hmm. of people, the ones who've just walked in the door mm -hmm. and know nothing about unity, up to the ones who've been there 40 years and have heard it all, read it all, and there needs to be something for all of those people. Yep. And I, so I'm sure they were aware of that, too. Well, it's, um, it, which is, I, I was just talking in, in class, uh, one of the classes I'm teaching for ministerial students is writing for the ministry. And so I was just talking about that last night, that if like if you're going to write a letter to a congregation that's asking for money, fundraising, you probably need at least three different letters because you've got multiple audiences that are responding to different language, different values, different ways of being and where where they want to put their money and how important money is in their life. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're very different audiences, which brings me back to this whole, the whole service thing is that I think at the time, you know, 100, 125 years ago, being in service was just, it's just part of the Christian culture. Um, so I, I think there's sometimes there's not a lot of conversation about it. It's just sort of implied. 
Well, then it could be some of her Methodist parents' influence. Mm-hmm. Faith without works is dead. Isn't yes. that a, the Methodist? Yeah. You just do it. You don't talk about it. You just do it. Right. I have often said to people, there's not a lot of emphasis on service in unity. It's The teachings are about the interior spiritual path. And it's only been in the last maybe 20 years that some people have said, okay, enough of that. Let's look up and look at the world around us and see what's ours to do. Mm-hmm. Is that your experience? Because then I read Myrtle and I'm surprised that from the beginning she was talking about service. So Did it just not stick in the movement? I, I think it got lost in the shuffle because she's not as explicit about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it was just... You know, it was just part of the sea that you're swimming in. And as you said, you know, the Methodist upbringing, you just do it. Um, and uh, also because our world has radically changed. Uh, you know, the, the world that we live in now um, is so unity evolves and people, um, you if you if you start to as unity evolves and it starts to become more denominational and have churches and it, this the structure the things change and so the message changes um it's every generation interprets a message that works for their generation that works for the world they're in mm-hmm. you know so um so the the focus is is going to change with every generation and so i think one of the things that um uh, that if you go back through history and you look at like 1910s, 20s, 30s, 40s, all the way through, culturally the focus is different, and so unity responds to that. Um, and I think we are back and have been for some time back in a place where the world needs your you, mm-hmm. not just your energy of goodness, but actually you got to put feet on it. Mm-hmm. You need to, um, you know, she says repeatedly that if I, um, it's not just about knowing truth, it's demonstrating it. You know, I, if I speak truth, you know, it's always about the words, right? The power of the words. But if I speak that, but I don't also do it, then I'm just silent. I'm just sort of, you know, just giving lip service. Um, and where we get kind of stuck with it today a little bit is how we think about what is service, right? What's social justice? What's a social issue? Oh. What's a cause? What's a So we have all this different vocabulary that all means something else. So when we come back from the break, let's start there with sacred service, social justice. What does it all mean? We'll be right back. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation. Or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. 
Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell from Unity San Diego discussing change and transition. And as we begin to really identify the endings in our lives, to deal with them completely and wholly, to heal from them as we must, as we are willing to be in a time of not knowing, a time of uncertainty, but a time of trusting that there is a blueprint, there is a plan, there is a destiny. As we move successfully through these experiences, we will find that we are evolving and emerging into something new and different. And everyone and everything that has been happening in your life, both the things that are easy and good and pleasant, and those things that are challenging and painful and difficult, are drivers for your own evolution. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Since 1924, Daily Word has offered inspiration and practical teachings through daily prayer messages to help people of all faiths live happy, healthy lives. The magazine includes two months of daily affirmations, messages, articles, and spiritual poetry to help you get inspired. Subscriptions are available for print editions in large type and Spanish, as well as the digital subscription package that includes the online magazine with audio, smartphone app, and daily email. Get your subscription today. Visit dailyword.com or unity.org. Unity is proud to announce the first-ever New Thought Walden Awards, honoring 27 leaders who are helping to change the world. Some are well-known, but most are unsung heroes. They care about spirituality, healing, interfaith understanding, caring for the earth, and social activism. Read about them in the September-October edition of Unity Magazine, or go online to waldenawards.com. Congratulations to all. Take a trip with Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Central and tune in to World Spirituality. A lifelong student and practitioner of many world spiritual teachings, Paul guides you to the unity and common values shared by all world religions. We really are all connected. Take a journey with Paul and explore our planet's spiritual landscape with insight, humor, and practical advice for all. Join the show with your question or comment right here on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Reverend Ellen Devonport. And we are back with Voices of Unity. This is Ellen Devonport. I'm here with Reverend Kelly Isola. We are having a wonderful series about Myrtle Fillmore, Unity's co-founder. And when we went to break, we were talking about social justice, sacred service, what's a cause, what are some of these other terms? So what are they? Because you say they all mean something different. They do. And they wouldn't all have been terms that um, that would have been used 100 years ago, 125 years ago. She just said service, right? Mm-hmm. She didn't say sacred service. No, she didn't. It was it, services service it, it i think it's redundant yes because is there any unsacred service right right <laughs> right like inherent in in service it's already sacred because we're doing it you know right so uh so no she doesn't i don't come across a sacred service like using the word sacred or or some adjective about it but um it's it would be um 
today, so so today we use the term sacred service. I I believe in churches, you know, in in faith based communities to separate to make it clear the source of the server, you know, the source of the service, um, as opposed to say just a you know Bank of America is doing a a you know a raise money for diabetes 5K run. You know that might be some service, or there, the you know some local bank is doing a feeding the homeless Saturday, which is would be less likely to call it sacred because it's coming from a the source and the where the people are are coming from is not a sac- what you call sacred. I still think it's redundant, but I mm-hmm. think we use the term you know spiritual social action, sacred service. We just use it to denote it's coming from the church. So, uh, so but what but what social What's happened is the, the term social justice is there are all these civil rights and human rights that that you know racism and LGBTQ and um, sexism and you know economic disparities and poverty you know there's all these issues in our culture and in our society that um, that are uh, that we address. That there that that are not that demonstrate we don't have a society where justice reigns, you know, or justice rules, mm-hmm. uh, you know, marginalized communities. And so, how do we respond to that? And so, but what happens? What's happened is the word social justice. Many people have taken to mean um, that that equals doing protests and doing marches and doing, and I I was surprised when I started to discover this because I thought, well, where did you get that from? You know, it's just really what it is. It's justice for these social issues that we need to address. So social justice doesn't mean it might be protesting, but if that's not your thing, it doesn't mean you're not involved in social justice. And then there's social issues, which is. Um, so the justice would be more of the active activity, the behavior, the social issues. What's the issue that I'm focusing on for my, you know, demonstration for my activity, my service, um, and that that again is the the issues like racism, like sexism, but it's the issue itself, um, and the justice, social justice would be what I do to address the social issue. And then you have a cause. I'm just telling you how it is. <laughs> I'm watching your face, then the wrinkled brow. And I'm just this is this is so a cause then is you did. So a cause <laughs> then is um is a common action oriented behavior um that's that is service based. So I don't know that I would consider a protest or a rally service. Mm-hmm. Right? But it is a it is a behavior I can engage in to bring attention to some injustice. But a cause is generally one that is a group of people get together to help people, to help a community. So that's a, that's a cause. And I think cause is probably the closest thing that would be what Myrtle is. So we wisdom, that's a cause. Mm-hmm. Children, you know, to take care of the children. That's to, a cause. Yeah, okay. Right. And so we wisdom becomes a function of, you know, the, the issue, the social issues, the children and their well-being and their spiritual health their own education, which we still have that issue today. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, just different different mechanism, right? So we wisdom becomes the the cause or, you know, the method to address, you know, whatever, whatever wherever you see injustice, wherever she, your passion is, wherever you want to put your attention. So um, – so what she so the same thing when she addresses say a group of you know involved in the temperance movement and trying to to steer clear of alcoholism that would be a cause you know but being mm-hmm. in service but it's not but her um 
but they wouldn't, you know, in her day, there wouldn't be all these, these, you know, delineations of it, but that's what we have now. So I, the, for me, it becomes, how do I respond to this? And each generation, so millennials respond differently. So millennials see these, the, you know, cause, social issues, social justice as di these different definitions. Um, the word activist, you know, for some generations, activist is like, oh, you know, like, I'm not being an activist, like I'll get in trouble. Right. That's like protesting and marching. And yes. Like, no, no, no. But that's not how younger generations, activist is just being active. Taking action. Yeah. Okay. Well, so part of your service is chairing the Greater Kansas City Interfaith Council. Which one is that? Is it a cause? Is it a is it well, social action? It's it's both. Um, it's it's a cause. Um, so so a cause is that when people come together for a common um, uh, common action oriented um, focused behavior to address an issue. So the cause, so Black Lives Matter, the Women's March. Mm -hmm. um, the the issue, say Black Lives Matter, is racism. But the cause Black Lives Matter is to address, is one way to for people to come together, <clears throat> community-oriented, action-oriented, service-based. Um, so the Kansas City Interfaith Council is is the, the, the issue would be interfaith, you know, it actually could be even bigger than that. It can be community building, peacemaking, um, you know, um, nonviolence, you know, and so interfaith work becomes a cause, you know, a, a, or the Greater Kansas City Interfaith Council is the cause to deliver this this service, to address the inequities, to address the issue, to address so that we have nonviolence, we have peace, we have community building, we have understanding. Okay, is it confusing enough now? Well, I'm trying to think what would have been going on in Myrtle's day. I mean, she lived through the temperance movement and Carrie Nation, you know, chopping up bars with an, an axe, mm -hmm. and women getting the vote and the hunger strikes and the protests. So that was activism. And as far as we know, she didn't participate that way. Yeah, not that I know of. Um, it would probably take some more. Uh, there's probably somebody that knows, but it would take a, a lot more research. Um, I'm not sure that it matters so much to me as much as... It, what matters to me is that she's for for healing and wholeness individually, collectively. Is I do my own internal work, mm -hmm. you know that that inward path of healing, of you know wisdom, of transformation, and the outer path of compassionate service. Like I have to extend that outward as well. Um, and she, in how to let God help you, in in there's a chapter called Justice you know, where she talks about what that is, and she talks about it in the home, but she talks about it also collectively. Um, she And she also points to that, you know, you are to apply these principles to your areas of giftedness. And what really is interesting is when she says that, you know, in areas that the, using the gifts God has given you, is the way she says it, is that your gift may not be something you're good at. Really? But yeah, people have a tendency to think that, oh, I'm really good at, you public know, speaking. Public speaking. And so that's my, you know, my area of giftedness. And uh -huh. so that's how I should be doing my, my service work. Mm -hmm. um, she also considers your job service. So if you're, if you have a job that is not, you know, ultimately doing good and, you know, bringing to life the inherent goodness in people mm -hmm. and the planet, then you're in the wrong job. 
Okay. Um, yeah, she gets you like, okay, are you going to find a job for me, Myrtle, and you know, make the mortgage payment while I'm looking for one of those? So, but what I love the fact that she says it's not necessarily something you're good at. Yes. Um, we have a tendency to pigeonhole ourselves. Um, that my and I've it took me a long time to shift out of. You've been doing mark. I've been doing marketing and design for almost three decades, mm-hmm. and I'm fabulous at it. You know, mastery, expertise, and it doesn't mean that's where my service work. You know, for a long time, I'm like, well, I can do that. It's you know, that is actually you know, skill and talent, and so and giving that in so service put, lots of you, times. Put you in the charge way. of the church newsletter, right? And yeah. slowly coming to learn that that's not. That's actually not just because you're good at it doesn't mean that's where the direction of my service should be. Interesting. Yeah. So I, then you have to kind of go, oh, okay, but that was easier to do it that way. Yeah. I have had church volunteers say who are good at one thing or make a living at something and don't want to do that right. as a church volunteer. You know, please, I do that all day. Let me do something else. Right. So they'll go weed the garden. Yes. Around the church or something. Yep. So the so the invitation then is is and it comes back to her, um, you know, everything about the prayer and focusing internally and meditation and healing and um, you know going to that secret place on high and 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 awakening to your you know your own divinity and your God given capacities and and how you were created and bringing that to life is all internal and. Um, it also requires a expanding our own self-awareness in doing that to, okay, if it's not something I'm necessarily good at, then how do I discover where to go? Mm-hmm. And being brave enough to step into, I don't know that I know how to do this, you know. Um, but but I don't, I'm not sure that she cares if you're brave enough or not. Just You need to just go do it. <laughs> not that she doesn't care, but it's, it's, uh, that's where you need to go. So in her mind, we were all we were always expressing God, and she would say, "Go forth and express." Yeah, maybe not in those words, but right. go forth, which I I guess means put feet on it. I'm not sure how else to you know, like I said, she doesn't explicitly say give you a list of here's some charities you can go do work at. Mm-hmm. It's not you know she doesn't here's the issues of our day you know just look and read the newspaper and you can find where the troubles are and she doesn't I don't I haven't found things where she explicitly says that but when she says repeatedly that our that's what we're here to do is to express God I'm not sure. I'm not sure how many different ways you can interpret that. Well, at one level, we can't not express God. Right. But it's but that's a um, I don't disagree. And it has to it can't just be the unconscious, you know, what she says, your daily activities, you know, Mm -hmm. expressing God in your daily activities. Mm -hmm. Well, what are my daily activities? And and all of my there is a. A percentage of my daily activities that impact other people. Mm-hmm. So it's that's what I mean. You have to kind of I have to start connecting dots and you know interpreting what she's saying or where it's going, what the lesson is. So if if I'm being encouraged to do that in my daily life, to do that in my world, to create a world, then it has to include expressing those God faculties, right? Expressing God, that principle. With other people that I that are in my life, in all different kinds of situations, which means some of that's going to include, um, 
the homeless guy on the corner that I see that's holding up a cardboard sign. Mm-hmm. It just I don't I don't see a way around around that. It's it's easy to be spiritual in a cave, but I don't think that's what she meant. <laughs> right? No. Okay, so what else do we need to know about this? Well, um, I that um, that it's always that it's a both and, right? That's that it's it's both that uh, you know that it's a twofold path, right? That is, uh, and and the 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 last segment, you know, the last issue we did was the healing and talking about this two step path, this two-step process for healing is step one is believe and step two being open and receptive to the healing stream of life, that a healing stream of life is an active life, right? And so, and, and, and those, for me, those go hand in hand with being in service. You know, I'm not going to, um, am I believing in what I'm doing or am I believing in an outcome? You know, and am I willing to do something to plant seeds to engage in service activity, um, knowing I may never see the fruits of my labor? Mm. Um, and I, I think she kind of got that. Um, that uh, it, it, you know, think about planting a date tree, for instance. You know, you can plant a date tree, but it takes decades for the first dates to actually show up. So are you willing to still plant a date tree knowing you'll never get to eat the fruit? I didn't know that. Yeah. Or um, uh, think about cathedrals, right? When mm-hmm. cathedrals, they take hundreds and hundreds of years mm-hmm. to build. So are you willing to do work knowing that you're not going to see the fruits of your labor? And that's really, I think that comes back to why she doesn't, it's not so much about the outcomes when she brings that up sometimes, but the consciousness that so that results are abiding. So are you still willing to do work from a from a consciousness of wisdom, from a consciousness of compassion, from a consciousness of being God in this world, knowing that you're you may you won't you may not see the end of poverty. You may not mm-hmm. see when women um, truly there is, you know, parity with men and women, mm-hmm. knowing that you may never see the end of racism. And are you still willing to do the work to for that healing i think that's the bigger i know if you can't see results how do you even know you're on the right track well i think you find small ones i think that's where it becomes am i believing in outcome or am i believing in process so i am believing in process because i'm i am doing this and i have to know that's the faith part right know that that if i'm doing um and being principle that the outcomes will follow they have to um and are there small ones that I see that, oh, I didn't even think of that, you know, mm-hmm. which is which is why I, I tend to not get too limited on what the outcome needs to look like um, because there is, you know, it's my individual consciousness and collective consciousness doing good in the world, being in service in the world. And there's this, there's always a, more beyond my little human limited, you know, view or perspective. Um, so... It is, which is why I think sometimes uh, people get burnt out on service because they're not seeing the results. Right. But I think some of that is not seeing the results they want. Mm-hmm. And I think some of it is also forget to pause, go within, rest, you know, take a nap. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she was a napper, but 
She probably. I bet she was. I know. I think she was. If she let the kids run wild, I think uh-huh. she was a napper. Well, and the mother-in-law could take care of the kids for a while. That's right. <laughs> but it, uh, it's um, keep doing, like keep practicing, keep praying, keep using. It's the discipline. Here we are at discipline I again. Know, I know. And we have this allergy and unity to discipline. I have it. Yes. Yeah. I do, too. I, I don't want to be disciplined, and I want to see instant results. What's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, if you don't mind disappointment. So let's talk a little more about how service connects to healing. Sure. Uh, I mean, I can see that some of the things we've been talking about might help heal the world mm-hmm. or heal an issue or mm-hmm. something. D- does it relate to physical healing as well, do you think? Yes. Uh, it actually sh- uh, shows up in that when we when we give, and I don't mean, you know, money. I mean when we just, whatever the giving is, mm-hmm. when we give of ourselves, it the chemicals change in the brain, um, the chemi- which then changes the chemicals in the body for good. <laughs> and it, the chemicals change and we're lifted, right? So one of the ways to actually... Um, combat, like if you have some situational depression or, you know, sadness or there's something in your life that's just overwhelming, like going through a very messy divorce or um, whatever it is, is to actually get out of yourself and go do something for someone else because it lifts the chemicals change and and uh, trauma gets healed because trauma lives in the central nervous system. So if I can support the the hormones and the chemicals in, in the body that are um, – uh, healthy, mm-hmm. um, then physical changes happen. It, they can't not. Um, so it's one of the ways to, uh, is whatever kind of giving, if it is money, then it's money, if it's time. And it's not even a huge amount. It's not like go, you know, 10 hours a week, even if you just did an hour. Um, it just, it physically changes you because you're you're having to look somewhere else. It's like somebody snapping your head from left to right. And oh look, there's a whole other world out there. And look, it's not all about me. And it's not about <laughs> ignoring whatever's going on for me. It's just there's more to this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helps put what's going on in your world in perspective in a manageable way. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, when people get frozen or overwhelmed or overloaded by by life, um, to shift 180 degrees and the attention in our attention then allows us to come back to to what's going on in life and go oh I wait I can do this you know I can manage this that's healing mm-hmm. and and some things are like wow I, why was I so worked up about that and it's it's done you know it's gone I think it's one of the reasons that when the story of you know Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead when when uh, the sisters come to him and say you know you have to come Lazarus is so sick and he waits Yes. For two days. Days. Yeah. And by the time he gets there, he's died. Uh-huh. But I think I I look at the story as one of those, like, wait, do something else, like shift the attention, and then come back to, then you're more prepared. And part of the shifting attention is to, is, is to it might include meditation. It might include prayer. She, she talks about that. You know, asking people if they're spending time. You know, we know, I know you have work to do. And especially when she's writing a letter to someone she's written to several times. You know, she keeps inviting them back into uh, what the work you have to do and pay attention. And, um, and she doesn't really give a lot of 
a lot of energy into the details of what their issue is, but she redirects their attention. And she wasn't the only one talking about service. No. Charles talked about it. Emily Cady talked about it. You have what? Did you bring quotes from them? Um, yeah, there are um, – um, um, one of, Emily, one of my favorite quotes, actually, is from Emily Cady from Lessons in Truth. Is she says, service is one of the steps that lead up to the place where all the fullness of God awaits men. Unless you use for the service of others what God has already given to you, you will find it a long, weary road to spiritual understanding. Because we're not solitary creatures. Mm-hmm. We were created to belong to each other. Like biologically, we're herd animals. So we need to take care of each other. It's part of spiritual understanding. I don't live in a bubble. Much little, as I that's may like a to. little tough for the introverts, isn't it? Right. Well, the good news is that you can actually, if you're, you know, Myers Briggs may tell you you're an introvert or an extrovert, but you can actually move that. Well, it's not. It's not set in stone. That's it's, some of that can be shifted, and there are ways to be in service that, you know, s- support introverts. Mm-hmm. Oh, certainly. I mean, I've done a lot of writing that I think is. Mm-hmm. So have you. Yeah, that I think is a service mm-hmm. to other people. You can go to a hospital and hold babies, AIDS babies. Mm-hmm. You could sit by yourself and rock little babies. Oh, I mean, it doesn't. That's pretty introverted. <laughs> right? um, but it's a, in, it's in service. It's loving what is. And so it's not something you're necessarily good at, right? And I grew up believing that genuine service faith-based service would be something I hate doing. And I think now that service can be something I love doing, Mm -hmm. and it still counts as service, Mm -hmm. which is a relief. I was always afraid I'd have to be a missionary in Africa if I really surrendered to this. That, ugh, service, and then, you know, yeah. No, she's, but she does make it clear that while it may not be something that you're good at, and that there is an element of sacrifice in it. And so we're invited off of our little ivory towers mm-hmm. to um, there isn't anything wrong with a little bit of sacrifice. The root of the word sacrifice is sacred. So, And sacrifice is not always a bad thing. And now that I've met some people who were missionaries in Africa, yeah. it's fascinating. It is. I still don't think it was mine to do in this no. lifetime. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But I'm glad there is somebody is. Yes, and so where? But where do I? Where's mine? And they had great lives. Yeah. So yeah. you just where's find my garden? your niche. Yep, garden. Which is what she's and she says there. You know, if you're, um, if you're trying, if you're being a square peg and trying to fit into a round hole, um, then you either need to go be a different peg somewhere else, or uh, change the the hole that you're trying to fit into where you are. Mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting, oh, yeah. I don't have to necessarily, if I'm a square peg trying to fit in a round hole, it doesn't mean I have to necessarily stop being a square peg. I just need to go find somewhere else a square <laughs> hole. Um, and she just she's just repeatedly um, hints to people to, you know, there's more outside of you. Yeah. It's sort of like we've gotten a little self-centered and um, self-important and a little bit... Um, she might be horrified today. Yeah, I was thinking about that this morning. But she, you've mentioned she rewrote the words to Ave Maria, which <laughs> I think takes some nerve. But she put service in it, right? Yes, she did. The very last line, she says, 
um, help us to aid each other in life's service everywhere. Yeah, so the first time I discovered she changed the words to Ave Maria, I thought, oh, well, at least Unity Church has come by it honestly. Yes, because we do that all the time. And, but can you do that? Like, isn't Ave Maria, like, isn't that blasphemous? I would have thought so. (laughs) But yes, she does. So we have one more week in this series next week. And you're going to do some, talk about what you're going to do. Something sort of experiential? <laughs> yep. On the radio. On the radio, yes. So we'll probably need a little meditation music, you know, backing us up a little bit. But she's, periodically she writes, She's she wrote a lot of poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wrote hymns. And there are some meditations that she wrote. And so I thought it would be nice to to just kind of, you know, be still and listen to her words and, you know, be in meditation. I, I have a Myrtle Fillmore healing service that I do, and that's kind of what I do is I take her words and bring them to, you know, just speak them into the space and, and be still and be in some quiet, be in meditation. And, and then we can talk about, you know, some of it a little bit. Um, but it really is, you know, it's it's something that someone could take over, listen to over and over. Okay. So we'll be back next week with more from Kelly Isola and Voices of Unity. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Laura Worcester, host of the Intuitive Life Podcast. As an intuitive medium and teacher working with the world of spirit, I love to share the peace that comes with the awareness that our departed loved ones are still with us. And I also love to help people explore what it means to live an intuitively led life. Start listening now on mindbodyspirit.fm or wherever you get your podcasts.